Brother Bradley, if you have your Bibles, open them to the table of contents and turn to Habakkuk. That's right. Turn to Habakkuk as we conclude our return series, walking through the minor prophets. And uh, while you're turning there, and before we begin, I just want to uh, ask you to, to turn your attention just to your bulletin for a moment. The reason I do that is because um, there's a place on there that, that is available for your prayer request. Every Monday when our lead staff meets together, we pray over each request that is given to us. That is our responsibility. It's our privilege and uh, that standard was set long, long ago. And so we, uh, we consider it uh, part of what we do to pray for you for sure. So I uh, just want to direct your attention to that. But also on the inside of that is a Connect card. And um, many of you have filled these out before. We, we reach out to you through these. But these are also a way that you can respond. If, uh, if there's a decision in your heart that needs to be made, if you need to join the church or uh, you, you need to be saved or you want to talk about what that looks like to be saved and fit for heaven. Uh, maybe you want to talk about your baptism or anything like that. We, we can start with the uh, decision card there, the connect card, and you can place that in the box on the way out as well. We'll get that and we'll follow up and reach out to you. Uh, we just want to help you at the end of the day. Amen. And uh, I'm thankful you're here. Thank you for being here with us today, for joining us. Those of you that are joining online, we are grateful for that. I thought uh, as we were singing but before the service really actually uh, got going, um, you know, we're, we're not here today for, for anyone. We're really not here because of anyone. We need God. Amen. We need the Lord to do a work in our life. We need the Lord to do a work in, in our culture. And I know for, for me and my family, we need God to do work in our family. And so, uh, so if you would just pray with me before we begin. Lord, we are here for you. We bow our heads. We close our eyes. We posture ourselves, Lord, before you and cry out in faith. Believing, God, that you hear the prayers of your people as we are cleared for prayer through the blood of Jesus. So, God, we just humbly and honestly confess that we need to hear from you today, Lord. We ask that you would minister to our hearts. And, God, that you would not only just preach to us, speak to us, Lord, but use us for your glory. Show us how to move in response to, God, what you bring up in our heart and mind. Teach us today, O oh God, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In Habakkuk, God's people were under the thumb of their own consequence. You and I can likely relate to that. Consequence had come. Judgment had come. Land was lost. Their identity was wavering. A foreign empire had occupied them and oppressed God's people, and another one was on deck. The people of Israel, God's chosen people, were wondering and waiting and it was at this time and during this time that Habakkuk prophesied. The book is presented in the form of a conversation between man and God. That's the structure of what you read here. This is not a prophet speaking to the people of God. It's not a prophet preaching to the people of God. Unlike the other prophets, this is not an accusation of Israel. He does not speak on God's behalf to them. This is an honest conversation between a man of God and God where the man of God talks and God talks back. And the sections of this conversation go like this. There's a complaint and a reply. There's a second complaint and a second reply. And then there is a prayer or a song, an expression of the heart of a man who understands. The first complaint in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 begins, 
And given the fact that the first section is a complaint, the prayer does not begin like this. Dear Lord, thank you for this day and all your many blessings. It does not even begin, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. It doesn't begin that way. No, it's more like this. God, how long do I have to cry out to you for your help before you listen to me? God, how long will it take for me to pray and cry out to get your attention? It's right there in the back of chapter 1, verse 2. How long, O Lord, must I call for your help, but you do not listen? This prayer is a poem of lament. The current situation is, is that they are in, the people of God are in a bad situation. And that situation is about to get worse before it gets better. The justice of God had left the land. The law had left the land. And the man cries out, God, would you please help? Would you do something? How many of us have ever prayed prayers like that? God, I don't even know, but would you please do something? Would you please help me? Habakkuk is, is wrapped up in the struggle to believe that God is good. That is really what's going on inside of his heart and mind, and he's voicing it honestly before God. The, the conditions of Judah, the situation of God's people, is a terrible one. Verse 2 says that there's violence everywhere. Verse 3 says evil, misery, destruction, tension abounds and surrounds. Verse 4 says the law is ineffective. It says that justice is being perverted. If you do not think the Bible is relevant, there's nothing new under the sun. Are you hearing me? And so he lifts all of these things to God, basically saying this, God, I call on you and nothing, nothing. Now, I know you're not a praying prophet, and I know this is not Israel, and I know that the opposition you are up against is not Babylon, but how many of you have ever felt like the Lord just may not be listening like God is ghosting you. Like you've sent a message to God, but he has turned off his read receipts so you don't know if your heart is coming through or not. You don't even have the three-dot anxiety. Y'all know what that is, right? Where the speech bubble is going, letting you know that he's checking it and he's going to form a response. You don't even know if that's happening. You doubt if he hears you at all. Here is a word of hope. If you are in Christ... If, if you are a praying person who is trusting that your forgiveness has cleared the way for your prayers, God answers prayer. He hears you. He is listening. There are things that, that separate us from those calls going through clearly, how we treat people, if there's sin in our life, if we need to lay it all out on the table. But if you are in Christ and you are praying if you are outside of faith and you are calling on God to save you, God hears and God answers. Now listen to me. One of the ways that God answers is within what he's already said. One of the ways that God responds is within what he's already put on the pages. How many of you have ever went back to your parents when they have already addressed an issue and their response when you brought it back was this, what did I say? Right? Well, what did I tell you? What is up with that response? What does that mean? It means what I told you earlier still stands. 
what I've told you before is still the truth. In Lamentations chapter 3, verses 55 through 57, the Bible says the following. But I called on your name. It's a very similar prayer. I called on your name, Lord. From deep within the pit, you heard me when I cried. Listen to my pleading. Hear my cry for help. Verse 57 says, yes, you came when I called and you told me, do not fear. It occurred to me when I read this passage in Lamentations that God answered the cry from an honest heart with a word, a short word that satisfied, and that word was this, do not fear. Ladies and gentlemen, that word is written in Scripture over and over and over and over again. And if you were praying and God were to say to you in a moment of clarity by the truth of his word, maybe through the Spirit of God, do not fear. That is a very general word from the Lord that would comfort you, amen? And you think to yourself, I need God to say that to me today. Then open your Bible and let him talk. Open your Bible and see that God has said throughout, do not fear for I am with you. To this point for Israel, God has spoken. He, the, he is wondering, why is this happening? What are we going through and how long? God has spoken through his covenant promises that he has pledged his love to his people forever. He has spoken through his warnings in Deuteronomy for disobedience. The reason why you are in the situation that you are in now is not by my hand. It's because of your heart. God has spoken through that. He has spoken through his prophets towards judgment and redemption. In the church age that we are in, God has spoken wisdom in the scripture. He has spoken repentance. He has spoken eternal hope. He has talked about how, right, how to do right, what is wrong. God talks about purpose, and all of those things are wrapped up in his word. So before you doubt that God is listening, check your message history. Before you doubt that he has talked to you or listening to you at all, see what God has already said. The truth stands. Too many times we think that God has not heard us or that God is not listening because he is not working. This is the specific revelation of God. Trust the truth, and the truth is in his word. It must also be said that when you feel like God is not hearing you, that God is not speaking plainly, or you don't even know if he's hearing you at all, God answers in his own time. Now, that makes everybody feel great, doesn't it? Oh, God answers in his own time. Well, amen. Y'all, there's a lot in here in this Bible about waiting. And there's a lot in there about it. We are people of impatience. Some of you are already like, how long is the end of the message and how much does he have left? We're people of them. Don't, don't amen that, Greg. <laughs> we, are, uh, we are people of impatience. There are people throughout the world, seriously, that are standing in lines waiting on food, and we grumble when we're the fourth car in the drive-thru. What we've got going is always the most important thing in the world, and if that is delayed, then our world is falling apart. Now, what you've got going is probably more pressing than the drive through line. What is the burden of your heart this morning? Maybe even the reason that God has, has led you here today is probably more important than the examples that we give. Nevertheless, waiting may be what is required 
Because you don't need an answer, you need to trust God. Maybe the reason why God has not just laid it out there before us is because your endurance needs to develop. That's what the Lord knows that you need more than an answer that you will receive, walk by faith for a few seconds, and then go back to your feeling. So why would he give you an answer anyway? The author of Hebrews calls the church towards perseverance. In in Hebrews, in chapter 10, verse 36, the Bible says, patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will, to hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm. God in his scripture is urging the church to not quit when it's tough. Now, if God told the persecuted church in Hebrews that they needed to wait well till the promise was fully received, why would we be so entitled to think that God should have answered us yesterday specifically according to our urgent desire? I read the following recently that is so simple, yet it is so profound. The person who prays must learn to wait on God. His answer is his prerogative. It's according to his time. Praying with urgency doesn't mean that God will answer immediately. And when God does not answer immediately, it does not mean that God is not working. And when God does not answer immediately, it does not mean that God is not good. He's still good. He's still working all the time is what the Scripture says. And we must learn to trust that God is good regardless. And if that there is a, de- a delay, we are in need of developing some spiritual strength. James chapter 1, verse 3 says that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. Amen? Now that is the first complaint of Habakkuk, and then what we get is the first reply. Notice in chapter 1, verses 5 through 11, God did reply. He did not just leave the prophet wondering and waiting. He answers in verse 5. Look around at the nations, God says. Look and be amazed, for I am doing something that you wouldn't believe even if, I told, even if I, someone told you about it. You see, there's another reason for God's timing. Basically, God says, if I told you, would you even believe it? No. See, God knows us, doesn't he? Some of you, where you are now and what God's got you doing now, would you have believed God if he would have told you that all those years ago when you were praying for his will to be done? Probably not. He knows what he's doing. We must trust that God is God, that he is always working, that he is working for his glory, and his glory works for our good. So God is, again, allowing, once again, his people to suffer the consequences of sin. This is wrapped up in his first reply. His continued answer explains in verses 6 through 11, and verses 6 through 11 is simply this. To Habakkuk, he says, I am raising up another challenger to your current oppressor. Babylon is on the rise, Assyria is about to fall, and while Babylon will rise to power, they will continue to rule over Israel, they too will be judged because Babylon themselves are cruel and violent. Verse 11 speaks to their idolatry, saying that they are deeply guilty, for their own strength is their God. Now listen to that one more time. Their own strength is their God. That means that for this people group, their idol was self-reliance. Their idol was was self-sufficiency. 
They rely upon themselves to make a way for themselves. They rely upon themselves to make a way for themselves all the way into eternity, betting on their good works rather than what God has revealed about salvation to make them right and rescued forever. It becomes a God, ourselves, the one that we look in the mirror. So God is allowing, once again, his people to suffer the consequences of sin. That's the answer. Habakkuk, I hear what you're saying. Assyria's out, but Babylon's coming up. This is still a period of judgment for his people. It's still judgment of God, and Babylon will now take the place of Assyria and be the executor of his judgment. This is a good place to remind all of us. Sin is serious, and God is serious about it. Sin is serious, and God is serious about it. God is holy, completely holy. He is just, and not only is he holy and just, but he is judge. The Bible says, do not be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. And so if you think to yourself today, I'm reaping what I have sown. Let me give you a simple word. Plant something different. Amen? If you harvest what you plant, and that is the truth of God's word, plant something different. What is that? The message of the prophets has always been repentance. Repentance is to turn. Repentance is to change. It is to go a different direction as God's spirit is bringing up within you the truth of where you are and where you need to be. You must turn towards the Lord. The first public exhortation of Jesus in Mark chapter 1, verse 15 was repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance acknowledges your weakness. Repentance acknowledges your condition, your sin specifically, and your need for a Savior and a Lord. Amen? Now, if, if you hear that word a good bit and you think to yourself about what repentance looks like, what does that actually look like in the life of a Christian? What does that look like for me who wants to be a Christian? Psalm chapter 86, verse 11 is an, a verse that clearly talks about the attitude of repentance. Listen to this. Psalm 86, 11. Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. That is repentance. A heart's desire to go a different way according to the truth of God, that I may live according to the truth of God. And then the second part of that verse goes on to say, grant me purity of heart, so that I may honor you. Grant me forgiveness, the clean slate, by the blood of Jesus, so that my life may honor you. As God's Spirit is convicting you of sin, and God's Spirit is convicting you of the righteousness of God, and your need for God, and the judgment that's coming, the simple, serious word that happens every week is repentance. To turn from yourself and to turn to God. Y'all, this is the biblical truth. This is not my opinion. This is not a Southern Baptist doctrine. This is not something that I wrote down and said, we got to cover this. This is the biblical truth. If a person apart from God remains in sin, he will be separate from God forever. That's the truth. That's the warning of God. If one who is in sin remains in sin he will be separate from God forever. Judgment will not just be for a time. Judgment will be for eternity, and hell will be a reality. And that, that's it. I, I don't bring these things up because we're like, that's right. I'm bringing these things up because you need to hear the warning. 
And Christian, if a Christian sins, the blood of Jesus covers, but there will be conviction of sin, and there will also be consequence of sin. Again, you cannot mock the justice of God. You always harvest what you plant. There will be consequence, and God would call us, if we are in sin, to turn from ourselves and turn to God. And Christian, God would call you today, if you're dabbling in sin, to keep on turning. As repentance doesn't stop just at that decision point. It is an attitude that's reflected in our life to be taught and led by the truth of God. This leads us to the second complaint. There was the first complaint and the first reply. This is the second complaint. Chapter 1, verse 12 through chapter 2, verse 1. To bring this all together, God shares with Habakkuk that Babylon would be the next tool of judgment. Habakkuk does not like that answer. <laughs> okay, uh, let me press again because that's not my favorite thing to hear from you. That Assyria is gone and that's good, but now Babylon, who is as bad or worse, is now going to be the next, next oppressor. So what's happening in this section is that Habakkuk is about to vocally disagree with God for a second time. He seriously, a man before God is going to say it. Can I tell you something kind of crazy? Don't be afraid to do the same. Why would, you, why would you hide what you feel from God? Why would you not be specific as you talk to God about the struggles and the sufferings in your life? You know what happens? If you do not pray this way, whether you are lamenting, or, or you're angry and you're being specific, if you do not take these feelings of suffering and you do not take these frustrations before God based on what God has revealed to you, here's what happens. If you don't pray that way, you'll just quit praying altogether. You just won't even talk to the Lord at all. Be honest with God. I love the following written by a Christian leader. It says, Prayers of lament are radical acts of faith and hope because they refuse, even in the midst of suffering, to give up on God. Notice the respectful tone, though, which he takes. I think we all ought to look at that as well. If you look in chapter 1, verses 12, the first part of that verse, he addresses God like he knows who he's talking to. Oh, Lord, my God, my Holy One, you are eternal. Surely you do not plan to wipe us out. And then he goes on to say, I know that we're bad, but Babylon is worse than us. <laughs> I think we all need to be careful <laughs> when we are listening for the person beside us. Right? Yeah, did you hear what that preacher said? <laughs> like, we all need to be careful when we start hearing the truth for someone else. But he believes that he's right in saying, hey, I know that we've gotten it wrong, but have you seen these folks over here? Chapter 1, verse 13, the last half of that verse says, should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? Y'all, if there's a problem for the church in today's time, we are trying to listen from God to address everybody else's sin but ours. God, have you seen the folks on these TV screens? Have you seen all these folks acting a fool out in the community? Hmm. The scripture's a mirror. You can't bring all them in with you. It's we look in the mirror so that God can reveal what's in our heart. Amen? Sometimes we need to take the plank out of our own eye. So in his resolution 
to wait on an answer. He pictures himself as a guardsman. He says in verse one of chapter two, I'm gonna take my position. I'm gonna stand up here like a watchman. Now I'm going to wait on the Lord to answer me. There was a resolve there. It's not an indignation or it's not a, it's not a stubbornness. There's a resolve that God will speak as he just spoke before in the first section. I will wait and I will hear from God. And here comes the second reply from God in chapter two, verses two through 20. God's second reply is a word for his people and then God has a word for his enemies, for those who are with him and those who are against him. The first reply is for the people of God in verses three and four. The Bible says this vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it surely will take place. It will not be delayed. That's what it says in verse three. Verse four, look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness. A vision of God is given to the hands of Habakkuk for him to write down so that he may pass it on that there will be a future refreshment coming. And it may seem slow, but it will be here. God knew that Babylon was coming, but God also knew that Babylon would not endure. Babylon would fall next to the Persian Empire, and what God knew within that was that the remnant of God's people would then make their way back to Jerusalem during the Persian Empire so that they would resettle once again into the land that God had promised. But that would be a future time, and the people of God were still in a season of suffering. God knew that, and so he addresses Habakkuk, and the message of verse 4 is this. Those who are right with God will live by faith. Those who are right with God will live by faith. This will help you today if you receive it as truth, if you are going through this season. The core of this message is this. It is a call to trust in God as God is trustworthy. See, we don't get amens out of that. Trust God, amen. But that's it, is to trust God because God is trustworthy. There was a man that was seeking spiritual truth that once went to a woman of a reputation for godliness. And after spending some time with her, he simply said, would you pray for me? And she said, I'll pray for you. What would you like for me to pray for you about? And he answered her and he said, I need clarity. I need clarity. And her response to him was this, I'm not gonna pray for you for that. And he was shocked. He was like, why would you, if you asked me what to pray for me about, why would you not pray for me for clarity? He said, you always seem to have clarity of purpose in your life. We see you as godly. Seems like you've got it all figured out. Would you pray for me the same? And she laughed, and this is what she told him. I've never had clarity. I've always had to trust. And then she said, so I will pray that you trust in God. Some of you today came here seeking as much clarity from God as you could get. And maybe God will make it plain to you. But I can also tell you that a message in the scripture that is found for those who are suffering and searching is often to trust God that he knows better. And to trust that God knows the time and that he knows the truth and how much you can handle. God is the author of the story. The, the righteous don't align their lives with God because God has told them every page of the story. 
The, the righteous don't align their lives with God because God has told them how it's all going to be written. The righteous don't even align their lives with God because God tells them how it ends. We align our lives with God because we believe that he's the author. We believe that he is in control. And at the end, it's not about our happily ever after. It's about the glory of the author and, and that we will be in his presence for eternity. Psalm chapter 16, verse 5 says this, Lord, you alone are my inheritance. He is it. It's not about your happily ever after. It's not about us getting everything that we want and being comfortable until we go on into heaven at a comfortable old age. It is about the will of God and trusting that God's glory will be his priority and that God is good and that he works for our good within all of that. That he is God and that he is good and that glory alone belongs to him. And it's by privilege alone that we are allowed to experience heaven because we for sure don't deserve it. And so God is our inheritance. And the Bible teaches us that the righteous, if we want to stay in that line where we are in the will of way of God, the righteous will live by their faithfulness. This is quoted in the New Testament as well. It's quoted in Hebrews as we mentioned it earlier. Paul quoted it in Romans chapter 1 verse 17 relative to salvation. said, this good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. He said, this is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scripture says, it's through faith that a righteous person has life. Habakkuk teaches us to trust God in the waiting. Proverbs teaches us to trust God is wisdom. Hebrews teaches us to trust God to fulfill his will. Romans teaches us to trust God in salvation. It's not about praying. It's about praying and trusting. It's about trusting continuously that God is true. Have you ever tried to line off a ball field or to, to put up a fence row just by eyeballing it? Or anything comparable? How does that work out for you? We're like, ah, we got it. And you start to close your eyes like this and do one of these things. How, how does that work? And again, the reason I bring that up is, is once again, I want to take you back to the scripture so that this illustration will connect. Right there in verse four, look at the proud, they trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. But the righteous live by their faithfulness. You see, to, to draw a straight chalk line or a straight fence row has to be established from a point of reference. It's the point of reference that gives you the truth. But if you simply trust in yourself to line it off, there's going to be this wavering of the line. Y'all should go on the internet for real sometime and look at some of the lined off baseball fields from folks that just eyeballed it. I mean, it, it literally, you could, there, we've been at times, we've been at fields before where you stand behind home plate like this, and the pitcher's mound is over here. <laughs> like, I don't think that's going to work out like we thought. For the believer, life is this tension between what we want to do and what God wants us to do. In all circumstances, I want, you, I want you to hear that again because this speaks to me. For the believer, life is this tension between what we want to do and what God wants us to do in all circumstances. To trust in God in all situations, 
To trust in God in all circumstances, whether it's great or small, deep or shallow, is to live by faithfulness to God. And the righteous live by faith. Second, as he's spoken to his people and said, my people live by faith. He says, secondly, to his enemies, what's repeated is important, right? In verses, if chapter 2, in verses 6, 9, 12, 15, and 19, it all says the same thing. What is it? 6, 9, 12, 15, and 19. What sorrow awaits you. 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 For those who would set themselves against God, for those who would be so proud as to think that they know better than Almighty God, that their word is greater than his word, what sorrow awaits you. Babylon would become rich through extortion. They would cheat people. They would trust not in God who has put them there and allowed all these things. They begin, listen to me, they begin to trust in their wealth, wealth that they gained dishonestly. They would murder, they would lead by corruption, they would revel in drunkenness, it's in the scripture, and they would be celebrating violence and worshiping idols. And God made a divine promise as he was talking to Habakkuk saying, y'all are still in the judgment. One day I will deliver, just wait on me. He and also in that promise was a divine promise to Babylon that all who remain in wickedness of every kind, I'm gonna bring it all down. Verse 16, he says, when he speaks of their drunkenness, he says, they'll drink from the cup of the Lord's judgment and all the glory will be turned to shame. Again, in fear and trembling, sobering reality, when self and sin characterize your life, death and judgment are looming. And then finally, in chapter three, is a prayer. We've gone from open complaint to God's reply to a second complaint to God's reply, and now a prayer. The scripture even says in chapter three, verse one, this prayer was sung by the prophet Habakkuk. It is an expression of his heart to God as God has changed his heart. This is a prayer, a song of hope, a cry for mercy, and an expression that God will save his people. Amen? That God will save his people. Drawing from the history of Exodus, and y'all hang with me because we're closing. Draw from the history of Exodus, the author recalls God's faithfulness and trusts that he will take care of his people once again. Just as he has delivered his people from the hand of Pharaoh, he will deliver them from these conquering empires. He will deliver us from our greatest enemy, which is ourself and our sin, through the blood of Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 8 says, Was it in anger, Lord, that you struck the rivers and you parted the sea? Were you displeased with them? Were you mad at the Egyptians? No, he was in love with his people. The Bible says, No. You were sending your chariots of salvation. Chapter 3, verse 13 says, You went out to rescue your chosen people, to save your anointed ones. Again, this is a look back to the Lord's deliverance from the hand of Pharaoh, and it was also a nod to Moses. But ultimately, this foreshadows God's deliverance of his people from the grip of sin and an indication of Jesus. He goes on to say that 
He will wait quietly for the coming day of deliverance. Listen, and, and, and bring it in as we finish this out. He goes on to say that he will wait quietly for the day of deliverance. He will wait. And then the Bible says in verse 17, again, it says it repetitively. The Bible says three times in verse 17, even though. Even though. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember those guys? You can throw us in the fire, and God will save us. Goodness. And then they said, but even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we're not going to fall all over ourselves for you or any of your false gods. There is one God, the God of the Bible. Amen? And this is the point that Habakkuk reaches where he says, even though, three times, even though provision is low and prosperous is not even a word in my vocabulary, even though what was planned is not how it's going, even though there is suffering, verse 18 and 19, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. Notice again what the Bible says there. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. As we say over and over, if you can trust God to save you from hell, you can trust God with everything else. With all the rest of it. And what started as a woeful complaint became a trusting prayer. Now listen to me, listen to me. How did he go from these lodging complaints to now praying prayers and singing songs of faith? It's right here in the scripture. He was talking to God and listening the whole time. He was spending time, honest time, waiting on the Lord. And as he was spending more time talking to God and listening to God and waiting upon God and talking to God and listening to God, all of a sudden we go from a complaint and I'm angry to, Lord, I call on you for your mercy and I'm trusting in you and I'm resolved to be faithful. How? In the grind. In the grind. When on the plane recently from Seattle to Alaska on our mission trip, I sat beside a gentleman from Kenya. We made conversation, as he knew English. <clears throat> we made conversation, and we talked about work. We talked about family. We talked about our faith. We had the same faith. He was a Christian. And not knowing much about Kenya, obviously, I, I spoke to him about what I knew. And what I know about Kenya is the distance runners. So I brought that up, and I said, your country is known for, for distance running, right? He said, yes. I said, have you any experience in that? Have you any success in running at a distance since you're from, from Kenya? And he said, oh, no. I said, not at all. I said, oh, really? I just figured, well, everybody there must run a little. He said, this is what he told me. And I knew when he told me that God would want me to save it in my heart. He said, those runners are mostly from a certain ethnic group that live at higher altitudes. He said, training at high altitudes increases oxygen and it leads to greater endurance. In other words, when you live where it's higher and you train where it's higher, your endurance is greater. The same is true for the Christian. 
when we live and listen where it's higher, when we train and we grind in the shadow of the most high God, our endurance is greater, our trust is greater, our faithfulness is greater as we spend time with him up high, even though, even though, even though. Amen? The invitation today is not just to pray. The invitation today is for you to pray and to trust. The invitation today is not for you just to pray and to trust, but for you to be honest in your prayers. Let's stand to our feet. As we do every Sunday, we open up this altar. And man, we do it every Sunday in hopes that we'll all stop putting off ourselves and start thinking about when's the last time I've been before the Lord honestly and openly? When's the last time I have talked to God with my whole heart? For some of you, you're here today and you're seeking and searching out more and you want more of God and you think church is a part of that and to that I would say amen. And we'd love to have you back every time the doors are open. We'd love for you to join this church. If you want to talk about what that looks like, why not come up and just tell us you want to join the church. If you're thinking about baptism, say the same thing. I just want to talk about baptism. Or maybe you're thinking to yourself today, I know that I need to repent of my sin and turn to God and believe in Jesus for my salvation. That's why we still give an invitation. Why would you still give an invitation? Because somebody may come. And we want to be responsible in that, amen? So Lord, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I just pray, Father, that across this sanctuary we would be honest in our heart and honest before you. Lord, your word and your spirit has guided us to this moment. Father, if there are one or many that cannot deny what's going on in their heart right now, God, they cannot deny, they cannot put off what you are bringing up in their heart that they need to be saved, that they need to be closer, whatever it is, Lord, for all of us. Lord, if you've identified idols or, Father, you have left us with a word just not to fear and that we need to wait and trust in you. Oh, God, I pray, Father, that we would respond and be honest Lord, we thank you once again for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, Father, for the ultimate, ultimate rescue from our greatest oppressive enemy, our sin. We thank you for Jesus, for the blood of Jesus that covers us and the power of Jesus that gives us hope past the grave. God, would you lead us in this time of invitation, Lord, to be honest in our prayers, honest in our responses, and Lord, to be honest in our worship as we lift our voice to you. In Jesus' name, amen. This altar is open for you. We have pastors and decision and counselors that would be here to help you.